0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. But again, this is just really awkward. But you know what? This is the way it is, and so we want to obey the authorities over us and honor those around us. And so we'll keep doing this for as long as it takes, and uh, keep praying for them and for those who are suffering and going through very hard times. This is a very hard time uh, for our whole world, and so it is important that we pray, that we enter, in we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that we enter into that spiritual warfare. And so while we go ahead and open in prayer, Father, we We thank you for the morning. We thank you for those songs, Lord. Uh, There's so much theology in those songs. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness that you love the world so much that you sent your one and only son to be born, to live, to die, to rise again, that we might have life with you. So, Lord, we just thank you and praise you. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching and that you will be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, came to to see the tomb. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen as Jesus said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Then the angel said, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples words. And their words seemed to them, seemed to the disciples like idle tales. And they did not believe them. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, whom we believe is John, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. Here's a very important verse, John 20 verse 9. For as yet... They did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. I'm going to read that again. And I encourage you to really uh, get out your Bibles and your thinking caps because we're going to do a pretty deep study this morning on a living hope, what we call the living hope that we as Bible-believing Christians have. And if you're not a Bible-believing Christian, this is going to be challenging But you need to be challenged because this is an opportunity for faith, the faith that God is reaching out to you with at the end of this service to receive Jesus as your Savior. And so you can know for certain that there is a God, that he has one and only Son, that the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and that he is calling you to a personal relationship with God. But you're going to have to think this through. And it's not going to be a 15, 20-minute study. It's going to be a lengthy study, so you're going to have to hang in there. But this is your eternity at stake. Very, very important. Very relevant. So for us today, the resurrection is an easy concept to understand. But for these first century Christians, it it wasn't. Even though Jesus had spoken to his disciples several times during his ministry about his death and resurrection, Jesus spoke very clearly. Here is a fact. It was all going to happen but they couldn't comprehend what he was talking about. Again, for us today, it's quite easy. For them, this is all new ground, all new territory. They couldn't comprehend what he was talking about. Now that it had happened, they had so many emotions running through their heads. They were, they were confused. Very, I would have been the same way. You would have as well. They were disillusioned. They were frightened. And then those women came and told them that he's not in the grave. Mary explains that she had a personal conversation with the risen Lord. And I could just imagine them thinking, that's crazy, Mary. That couldn't have happened. Yet Mary was there, and Jesus was there, so it did happen. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. As you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. And learn some more about those facts that Jesus actually rose from the grave. We're going to get a list of people that literally saw Jesus. And this is very important. You may be skeptical. But Paul wrote this in the original 50s. The original 50s. He wrote this. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received... That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Again, notice that we touched on this Friday night. That we kept going back to according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures. And that's why we want to read from Genesis to Revelation. Not just picking out your favorite book or doing a few verses here and a few verses there. But systematically reading from Genesis to Revelation throughout the year Covering the whole Bible. And we have a reading schedule that's online. And if you choose to do that, uh, you will read through the Old Testament once. You'll read through the New Testament twice in one year. And again, this isn't for religiosity. This isn't for head knowledge. This is for devotion. You should have a private devotional time. You're going to heaven. You're going to meet God face to face. You want to be familiar with him. And the way that we become familiar with him and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is by being in the Word of God on a regular basis. Verse 4 and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen by Peter, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Notice that in your Bible 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained of the present, but some have fallen asleep. Now that's a nice way of saying, but some have died. Now think about that. Paul is writing this in the 50s, and here he states that 500 men saw Jesus after the resurrection, and that a majority of those men are still alive to that day. Uh, if this was a trial, that would be overwhelming evidence. And the conclusion would be, he is risen. And so we just don't take this by blind faith. We take it by the word of God that we have a living hope, an actual living hope. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me, Paul writing this, as by, as by one born out of due time. Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and the team does a great job with the slides and so again if you're new to the Bible or maybe you're just tuning in and you you found your Bible and you're not familiar with it um, you'll see 66 little rectangles going across there you'll see a little white cross that's where you're gonna find that book in your Bible and you want to get familiar with your Bible and every Bible has a table of contents and so don't be afraid to look at that it's typically in the very front it lists the 39 Old Testament books and then the 27 New Testament books. And uh, I'll make sure that uh, I reference that. But there's also these wonderful slides. And so First Peter chapter 1. We want to look at a few verses that speak about the reason why we gather as believers to celebrate his resurrection. Why are we here? Is this because we, we have to punch the clock? We have to do our religious duty? Are we obligated to this? You see, I was born and raised in a church where I was obligated to go to church. It was actually a requirement. You see, if I, if I didn't go to church, I was committing a sin. And I had to repent and ask forgiveness. But we don't see that in the scriptures. It's not an obligation. It's a, it's a privilege. Should we gather? Absolutely. We need one another. The scriptures make it perfectly clear that the body of Christ has many, many members, and every single Christian is a member of the body of Christ. And so we should gather together. We shouldn't just forsake the assembly because, well, you know what? I just don't feel like going to church this day, this month. I haven't been to church in years. No, that's that's unfortunate. We need you, and you need us as well. And so make sure that you do get plugged into a Bible-believing church when this uh, is lifted that you might be a part of a Bible-believing body and, and get involved, get plugged in, and, and be a blessing to others and let others bless you as well. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we read this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice, Peter makes reference there to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through these verses here, um, verse by verse, and we're going to learn why we have a living hope. So in verse 3, we see there, It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the word blessed means to adore, to praise, adore or praise. And why should we adore or praise God? Well, he goes on to say, because of his abundant mercy, his abundant mercy. Now, during the times that we're in, you might be thinking that you're not seeing God's abundant mercy. That is a reality. It's an emotion. But it's not necessarily a fact. And we always want to go back to the facts of the word and not rely upon our feelings or our emotions because that can be very, very dangerous. As you all know, emotions run high. Emotions can run low. So we have to be very, very careful with our emotions. But as we finish the verse, we see that Peter isn't talking about the temporal, but the eternal. This is very, very important. We're going to leave that slide up there for a minute. As we finish the verse, as you look at verse uh, 3 there, look at the very end, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's not about the temple, it's about the eternal. Very important. So now let's break this verse down a little bit. How could someone think of God's abundant mercy when they're going through a trial or a time of tribulation? You see, there's no doubt that many people have lost their jobs over the last few weeks. Millions of people have lost their jobs. There's no doubt that many people have lost a family member, a friend, or a loved one to this current virus. But I'd like to zero in on this morning is a phrase right in the middle of verse 3, and that phrase is a living hope. A living hope. You see, because we as believers have a living hope. Now, that word hope is defined in the Greek as to anticipate, usually with pleasure, confident expectation, joyful expectation of coming good. A living hope, not a dreaded hope. Oh, I, I hope I don't have to. Not a dead hope. I'm too old to recover from this crash of the markets. But a living hope. You see, this morning, our hope as believers in the resurrection, that spiritual realm that you and I, we will all enter into one day. Every single one of us is going to be resurrected, either for glorification or for condemnation. The choice is yours. God sends no one to hell. We choose ourselves to go there. Don't ever blame God. It's your choice. It's my choice. And he always gives us ample opportunity to choose. Very, very important. You see, our hope as believers is in the resurrection. Our hope shouldn't be in the dreams of our youth, a successful student or athlete, nor in the dreams of the college years. You know, I'm going to have a successful career after i graduate nor in the dreams of our working years you know i'm gonna i'm just gonna kick back and have a leisurely retirement now all those things are okay in and of themselves but did you notice something about all of those things they're all temporal they're all based on the here and now and we don't have we have no idea what tomorrow holds we we might be dead And so that hope is not really a living hope. Matter of fact, I can breed a false hope. All of those things I just mentioned are temporary. No, our hope should be rooted in the resurrection, the eternal perspective. You see, when a Bible-believing Christian has their hope in spending eternal life with God forever, there's no amount of persecution. There is no depth of trial or tribulation. And there is nothing that can undermine that type of hope. Why? Because it's based on what God has done for us. Again, very important here. It's based on what God has done for us, the eternal, not what we have done for ourselves, the temporal. I hope that you see the difference there. The eternal that God has done for us versus the temporary, which we continue to try to do for ourselves. But when our hope is set upon the temporal things of this life, that hope can and will eventually be crushed, bruised, or battered in one form or another. And that's just a reality of this life. You see, we were born into a cursed world and we automatically inherit a desperately wicked heart. And if you don't think that's true, hang around some two and three-year-olds or some second and third graders on the playground. You'll see very quickly We have a desperately wicked heart. Pushing, punching, taking things, lying. It comes naturally. Nobody has to teach us to do it. We automatically do it, even when we're two or three years old. Let's look at Psalm 78. Let's look at Psalm 78. You see, if we base our happiness on this temporal hope, it will become a miserable hope at best. But Psalm 78 instructs us about a living hope. Psalm 78 verse 5 says, For he established a testimony in Jacob, an appointed law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. This is very, very important. And this is where our nation has deviated drastically over the last 40, 50 years. Here we see one of the responses of a father is to take his children to the word of God and show them the word of God, help them memorize the word of God and meditate on the word of God, which means I, as a father, need to be in the word of God first and foremost. So for you dads or even you grandpas, as we're going to see, it's important that you're having a regular daily devotional time where you're in the word studying Memorizing, meditating on the word that you might be able to wash someone else's mind. Because your mind has been washed. You see, scientifically, by the time a child is five years old, they have 50% of their adult personality. And what's taking place in that child's life? You see, people are coding information into their hard drive. Your brain is a hard drive. By the time you're 9, you have 75% of your adult personality. By the time you're 11, you have 87% of your adult personality. So as a teenager, you start running the program. And you do things and say things that you wonder, where did I get that from? And then as an adult, the things that you said as a teenager, well, when I grow up, I'll never do that. That's what my dad does. That's what my mom does. All of a sudden, you find yourself doing those things that you said you would never do. Why? Because it's been coded into your brain. So now you need to debug the program and you do that by taking the word of God and washing your mind. We'll get to some verses with that. And so it's very important that we focus on the word of God and that we take our children to the word of God. Verse six, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, which would be the father's grandchildren that they may set their hope in God. You see, over the last 30, 40, 50 years, we have unfortunately set our hope in the government. The government's going to bail us out. The government is our savior. Or we've set our hope in a certain party. Or we've set our hope in a mate. Or we've set our hope in our 401k. Or we've set our hope in our career or our hobby or whatever it is. You fill in the blank. We've set our hope in that. And all of a sudden, our hope is dashed. We're bewildered. We're, we're wondering, what, what happened? Uh, 40 years, I've been planning for this for 40 years, and now it's 50%, 60% of my retirement is gone? In a month, it's just gone after 40 years? That's a, that's a dead hope. But we have a living hope because of the word of God, and we want to pass it on to our children and grandchildren that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And Jesus gave us the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Just two commandments. If we would just do those two commandments, we wouldn't be worrying about the government and political parties because we'd be fulfilling the word of God. We'd be taking care of each other. It may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. And this is where we find ourselves even in America, unfortunately, today. We are stubborn against the word of God. We don't want to hear about God. We want to do it our way. And we want the government to bail us out. Just keep printing the money. It's got to work. You see, this morning, think about this. You're probably putting your hope in a check that's going to come in the mail. So you're putting your hope in the post office that they're going to get it to your mailbox or that it's going to be directly deposited into your account. But you're putting your hope in a government entity. How many times has that failed? But that's where our hope is at. And maybe that hope will last for a month or two months. But is that going to continue to go on for the rest of your life? It's not going to happen. We'll go bankrupt. So we can't put our hope in these temporal things that will always fall short. No, we have to put our hope in a resurrection, resurrected Savior. Has begotten us. In Peter, it means to be born again, born anew. Born again, born anew. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. As you're turning there, I'm going to read verse 3 again in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So begotten us again, again, it means to be born again, born anew. And once we become born again, born anew, we receive the Holy Spirit. And Romans 12 tells us this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So part of the living hope that we have is surrendering our lives to a living God. Not, uh, well, I'll give God 25% or 50% or, well, you know, I'll give God 95 No, God desires 100%. He is our Lord, which literally means master, which makes us a slave. We are bondservants of the risen Christ. We willingly submit to our master. Verse 2 and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. There is that debugging the program concept. Taking the Word of God, reading the Word of God, studying, meditating, memorizing, and allowing the Word of God to wash, to reprogram our minds that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. You see, when we become born again, as I already mentioned, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our soul and a spiritual heart transformation starts to take place. God's abundant mercy becomes more and more evident and we realize that God's mercy is an integral part of that eternal living hope. Very important as we focus on that phrase, a living hope, God's mercy. Well, let's look at Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, and you might be thinking, wow, this guy's changing, going through the Bible so much. Well, you need to become familiar with your Bible. It's not so much what a person says, it's what does the Bible say. And if a person continues to go back to the Word of God and cross-references the Word of God, well then, yes, we want to listen to that, adhere to that, take counsel from that. And say Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, just as if I'd never sinned, notice that, by faith, not by works. So if you're trying to be religious, if you're part of the isms, And you're trying to get to heaven by your good works, by your good deeds, you will fail. It's by faith and faith alone. What happens if we have that? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. So even during this time, you, you, you fellow Christians, we're to glory during this time. What? During this shutting down of the whole economy worldwide? We're to glory in that? Well, it's what the Bible says. Now our feelings, our emotions say otherwise, but we want to get into the area of facts. What does the Bible say? Glory in tribulations. Why? Why would, should we do that? Just read the word of God. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character, what? What does your Bible say? Hope. It's a living hope. But there's a process there for every believer that we have to go through to get to that living hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, as we go through those trials and tribulations, the Holy Spirit is comforting us, encouraging us, strengthening us, maybe rebuking us. But he's pointing us to heaven. He's pointing us to the eternal. And that gets us our proper perspective again. And it gets our eyes back on the living hope. The living hope. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was me. Jesus died for me, a sinner in need of a savior. Verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is so important right here. Because religion pounds into people's heads. Program, program, program. You need to get your act together and then God might love you. He might accept you. If you pray enough, if you read the Bible enough, if you give enough money, if you knock on enough doors, if you fast enough, if you, if you, if you, it's all about what you do, which is not scriptural. It's all about what God has already done. And he did it. At, he sent his son and did it at the cross. He died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. So it's very, very important that we remember that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We didn't get our act together, and then Jesus died and said, "Okay, you, you did your part. Now I did mine. Now let's go to heaven." It was all Jesus. All Jesus. Much, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, be made, or were made right with the father, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, again, I was raised in a denomination and a religion where I had to go and ask for forgiveness. And then a man would forgive me. But then I had to even pray certain prayers after that, which after a while kind of confused me if I was forgiven. Why do I need to pray certain prayers to make sure that I was forgiven if I was truly forgiven? It went back to works because if I hadn't prayed those prayers, then I truly wasn't forgiven. So it kept being placed on me, me. No, 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 no. We're forgiven. And I do need to ask for forgiveness. When I sin, I do need to seek the father, but I'm forgiven. Let's look at Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians chapter two. You see, God reconciled us to him. We're not just trying to get reconciled to God. God has already done the reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, Paul writing to the believers, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, notice these next words here in your Bible, having no hope and without God in the world. See, if I was to ask you right now, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? What would you say? And I've asked that question to people over the years. And a Bible-believing Christian will say, yes. Yes, I've been forgiven. I've received Jesus as my Savior. I'm born again. According to the Bible, I will immediately go to heaven. The unbeliever will say, and maybe this is what you just thought about, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm not that bad. Matter of fact, that I think I'm pretty good, you know. Compared to so and so, I'm I'm pretty good. Uh, it's going back to works, and that's not going to work. No, you need a personal relationship. And so I was there in the spring of '78. If I would have died, I would have died without God. I had no hope. Once I received Jesus as my Savior in the spring of 1978. I now then started a life with a living hope, a living hope. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, And again, before I had that personal relationship, I was trying to meet the laws of the church and always falling short, always falling short. So I had no hope. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. But once I turned to God, Jesus made the peace with me at the cross. I finally took my hands and accepted the free gift of salvation. And works was now done works for salvation. Now I have works of salvation, but the works for salvation was done. Praise God. I was now saved. And then I started to learn how to allow the Holy spirit to produce works of salvation and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death, the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father. You see the Holy Spirit is wooing all of mankind right now. The Holy Spirit is para the Holy Spirit in your living room right now. If you do not have Jesus as your savior, the Holy Spirit is wooing you saying, listen to the Bible. Listen to what this man is saying. He is offering you the free gift of salvation. That's para. Around The Holy Spirit is doing that right now. And at the end of this service, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And you can receive Jesus as your Savior. I may never see you, but I will see you in heaven. I may never see you on this side of earth, but I will see you on the other side. So you have an opportunity for that. Well, let's look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Uh, the T's are together in the back of the, towards the back of the New Testament. Titus chapter 2. For by the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Notice that, as I just mentioned. We're approaching 8 billion people on the face of the earth. 2025, they estimate we'll have 8 billion people. And yes, God is trying to reach every single man, woman, and child. He's not trying to reach a religion. He's not trying to reach a select group of people. He is reaching out to every single person upon the face of the earth. No one is exempted. Just read your Bible. Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. And that word soberly there means to be with a sound mind. To be with a sound mind. The world is falling apart. Our economy is falling apart. What's going on? Go back to the Bible. Jesus is coming back. I can have a sound mind. I can have peace. These things were foretold 2,000 years ago prior to his return. It's going to be as it was in the days of Lot, and it will be in the days of Noah. It is going to happen. Earthquakes in diverse places, pestilences, diseases, plagues. Africa right now is going through a tremendous plague of locusts. And you might say, well, that's been happening for centuries. Hmm. It has been, you're right. But the birth pains, now that Israel is a nation after 1,900 years, and Jerusalem is a part of Israel, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, the prophetic time clock started to tick. And now all these birth pains are coming together at one time, and they're increasing in intensity. Jesus is coming back. So how should we live as believers soberly with a sound mind righteously agreeable to what is right even when our government might, might say something else is else is right that is unbiblical we go no the bible says that is wrong so I'm not going to agree with the government I'm not going to agree with whomever is trying to preach that at me even within, even if it's within my own household but I'm gonna go back to the word of God and say no what is right what is true That's what I'm called to live by. And godly in the present age. Notice verse 13 here looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did did you see it? There it is again in that last verse the resurrection, a living hope. Jesus coming back for his bride, the church. It's eternal. That's why we have a living hope. It's eternal, not the temporal false hope based on humanity. Well, we're going to look at verse four now in first Peter chapter one, verse four says to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Very interesting. Things in heaven will not fade away. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. Now again, I'm in no way insinuating that we shouldn't plan for the future. Um, We are planning, my wife and I are planning for the future. We have life insurance, we have a 401k, um, we're doing those things, we're being responsible. So no way, in no way am I uh, endorsing or encouraging irresponsibility. No, we need to be responsible. But again, that's not where my hope is at. I have a living hope in eternity. If that all goes away, that doesn't take away my living hope of eternity. And notice what Jesus says on the, in the Beatitudes, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in Matthew six nineteen, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. What did Jesus just say? Lay not up treasures. Where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. And, of course, that's happening even now. It's amazing. There's a tragedy taking place, and other people will try to steal while people are going through this tragedy. It's just desperately wicked heart. Verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Very important. So where's where is our eyesight supposed to be? Yes, responsibility on the on the temporal here, but eternity. Storing up treasure in heaven. Why? Well, verse 21 tells us, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you see that? You see, if I'm planning on eternity, 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 and some things happen in the temporal that are really disappointing because my focus is eternal. I'm going to stay focused on eternal. And these things are just going to be, wow, well, what can I do? I guess I'm just going to try to do this or try to do that, or I'll go over here or go over there. But it's not going to take away my living hope because my eyes are focused on the eternal. And back in Peter, let's break apart verse 4. 1 Peter 1, verse 4. Peter says, to an inheritance incorruptible. You see the inheritance there? It's incorruptible. It means undecaying, imperishable, imperishable. They are undefiled. The word undefiled there in verse 4, it means unsoiled, unsoiled. You see, heaven is not soiled by sin for there will be no sin there, not one single sin or remembrance of anyone's sin. Praise God for that. That's just a wonderful thought. And who are those things reserved for? All of us, for every Bible-believing Christian. And you'll notice that I'm saying Bible-believing Christian. I have to emphasize that because, uh, unfortunately, if you ask the average American, are you Christian, Uh, they'll say, well, of course, I was born in America. uh, In God we trust. Of course, I'm a Christian. Uh, Wrong answer. (laughs) Wrong answer. (laughs) No, a Bible-believing Christian is very specific. You believe in Jesus as the Son of God. He's not just a a great prophet. Uh, He's not the spirit brother of Lucifer. That would bring him down. He's not a reincarnated angel. Uh, He's not just a good guy. That that brings him down. That takes his deity away. No, Jesus is the son of God. You have to make that perfectly clear. And so for Bible-believing Christians, our inheritance in verse 4 there, towards the very end, it's reserved. And when you look up that word reserved, it means to guard. To guard. Now, we got to go back a few months because everything's changed. But, you know, if you made a reservation at a restaurant or a hotel, you know, those businesses will typically save that spot for you. But sometimes things happen to where they don't or they can't hold your reservation for whatever reason. But who's holding our reservation in heaven here? According to the word of God, a believer's name is written in what is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And no one is able to blot the believer's name out of that book. It's in Revelation 3, 5. I believe we have a slide for that. Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Now, as we leave that slide up there, we want to break it down. He who overcomes. What does that mean? Well, First John explains overcomer. An overcomer is one who acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, He is my savior. You become an overcomer. So this is not inferring that you have to do a certain amount of works to overcome. No, the work is one work, acknowledging you're a sinner in need of a savior and accepting Jesus as your savior. So he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. You will find that that is Jesus speaking in Revelation 3, 5. Well, again, back in 1 Peter chapter 1, let's look at verse 5. We'll wrap up the study with verse 5 here. Who are kept by the power of God. Interesting. Who are kept by the power of God. So who's... Guarding us, our Heavenly Father. He's guarding my salvation. Through faith, notice that, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So, once I am saved, if I truly become born again, and this might cause some problems for some of you, but if you just study your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will see this fact. If I am truly born again, I am saved. And I cannot lose my salvation. Don't turn off the TV. Don't turn off your device. Let's look at the word of God. You might think, well, can you verify that without twisting the scriptures? Absolutely. Let's look at Ephesians chapter one. We don't need to twist the scriptures or try to do scriptural gymnastics to try to meet my theology. Allow the Bible to teach you theology and then just stick with that theology. Ephesians 1.13 says this, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in Jesus, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. He died for you. I received Jesus as my Savior. In whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Again, I know I've said this several times, but we've got to make sure you understand this. Because many believers, unfortunately, believe they can lose their salvation and it will cause great anxiety in their lives. But if you go to the word of God, you'll find out you can't lose your salvation because when the Holy Spirit comes in you, comes upon you, you now have a seal on you. And I've said this to various Christians who just doubt that or wonder that or are afraid of losing their salvation, which is a real good indication that they haven't lost their salvation because they're afraid of losing their salvation. But besides that, I'll say to them, hey, next time you take a shower or take a bath, find the seal. And when you find the seal, tear it off and bring it in. Then you can lose your salvation. And they have to think about that for a few seconds until they, oh, yeah, I'm not, I can't find it. No, because God is keeping you. You're not keeping yourself. That'd be like giving the the keys to a brand new car to an eight-year-old. So you can have fun, but keep the car safe. (laughs) Right. It's going to be a disaster. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Notice that. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession? We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Until I take my last breath then God will call me, take me home. He purchased me, now he's taking me home to the praise of his glory. Well, let's wrap it up with these verses, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And these are just a few verses that help us understand what it means to have a living hope. That's kind of been the theme here of this resurrection message, a living hope. Even in the midst of all this turmoil, these trials that are coming upon all of our lives, no one's exempted. And you think about that. No one in the whole world is exempted from this, basically. Everyone is, is having... This is having an impact, impact upon every single person. It's amazing. Never in history has this happened like this. John 10, Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. So notice... I, as an individual, do not gain eternal life through all of my works. No, Jesus gives us eternal life. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Now, when you look up that word perish there, it means eternal separation from God. Jesus knows we're all going to die. Ten out of ten people die. He knew that. But what he is telling us is that we will never be separated from our Father. Never. Never. Our names will not be written, cannot be erased out of the Lamb's book of life. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus go on to say? Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So right now I encourage you, wherever you might be, To take one hand, let's just say your, your left hand, and that's Jesus, and take your right hand, and that's the Father, and put your hands together, you can't get out of their hands. They're God. So stop trying. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy and believe the word of God, that you've been sealed until the day you die and you cannot get out of their hands. And what does Jesus wrap it up with in verse 30? I and my father are one. Again, so important, so important. I and my father are one. As you continue reading that chapter, the religious elite, those who knew the scriptures, they started to pick up stones and they were going to stone Jesus for blasphemy. Blasphemy. You're making yourself equal with God, which would make you God, not just a a great prophet, a good guy. No, no, no. You're making yourself God, and that's why we're going to kill you. Well, he is God. He's the son of God. He was not blaspheming. I would blaspheme. You would blaspheme if we said, hey, if we're just good enough, eventually we're going to be able to go out and and become gods. That would be blasphemy because we would be lying. Jesus wasn't lying. He said, I am my father, are one. I am the son of God. So this morning, the question is, do you have a living hope? If you do, as a believer, make sure that others see that. Yes, you're going to have emotions. Yes, you're going to go through various emotions. That's reality. But take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and get back to your living hope the worst day on this earth, I'm still going to heaven. No matter how bad it gets on this earth, I'm still going to heaven. I have a living hope because of what Jesus did for me. And now I get to adore and praise him for his abundant mercy. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and and your faithfulness. And Father, this is just not another religious service so that we can punch the clock and check it off of our religious duties. Father, we've been learning from your word that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us, that we might have a living hope even in these days that we find ourselves living in. They're, in some ways, terrifying days. They're grieving days. They're they're causing anxiousness, worry. Some may be even battling depression right at this very moment. And Father, I know you want them to hear that you love them, you care for them, and I know that you want them to lift their eyes to heaven to be relieved of that depression and of that anxiousness and of that worry, knowing that you're a good God, that you knew all these things were going to happen before they ever happened, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that we as your sheep, we just need to listen to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit, often heard through the word of God, That we might mature and be more like Jesus. To show this world there is such a thing as a living hope. An eternal hope. You know as the saints are praying. You might be uh, listening right now and you've never received Jesus as your savior. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And it's, it's not about the prayer. Don't get hung up in the prayer. And it's not about Calvary Chapel. It's about you and God. Would you like to have a relationship with God? Would you like to be able to know when you take your last breath on this earth, you're gonna take your first breath in heaven? If you would like that, then I extend to you the free gift of salvation. God sent his son to die for you. It's your decision whether you will accept that or reject it. God's not rejecting you. God doesn't send anyone to hell. You reject God, and so you choose to go to hell. Make a better choice. (laughs) Make a better choice. And so if you'd like to receive Jesus right now, just pray this prayer after me. God hears it. We've already read. The Holy Spirit's with you right now. He's listening, and he will receive you. Just the way you are. Pray this simple prayer God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent. I turn from my sins and I turn to you and I surrender. I don't need to fight anymore. You love me. You sent your son to die for me. God, I invite Jesus into my life. God, I invite your Holy Spirit to come and dwell within me, to seal me now. I really don't understand what this all means. But I'm going to trust you that through your word, with the help of other Bible-believing Christians, that I will come to understand. But for now, I say thank you Thank you for accepting me just the way I am. And that I am now your son. I am now your daughter. God, I thank you that I can now call you father. My father. What a blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen, and maybe you 're watching this morning and you 've been away from the Lord as a believer you 've been running, and you can 't run far enough or fast enough because <laughs> you 're sealed, and God loves you he 's never going to give you the, the the opportunity to lose your salvation because we've all would have lost it thirty seconds after we had it, so you just need to stop running and repent right now, just stop, just just come back right now, just pray the simple prayer, God. Father, thank you for not giving up on me. I do. I need to repent. And I'm going to do that right now. I want to get back right with you. I know you're right with me. You never left me. Your word promises that. So, Father, I say I'm sorry. Sorry that I was so foolish and so selfish. And I say, thank you that I can come back. And you lovingly welcome me back, no conditions. Your agape love welcomes me. Thank you, Father, for forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this week. Again, Father, we pray for our leaders, and not just our leaders, but every leader in every country every state, every city, town. Lord, we pray that you give them wisdom and discernment. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that you would use them in a mighty way to impact these people's lives, that they would receive Jesus as their Savior before it's too late. Father, we thank you for this week. Give us wisdom and discernment. Help us to be about what you'd have us to do, living that living hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.